from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia. Welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And welcome back, friends, to another exciting episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women here on Business Radio X. I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and as you know, this is the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact in our community. Today, I am joined by a doctor and Ms. Arifa Kessahomboy. Did I say it right? <laughs> no? Very close. Okay. Correct me, please. And Dr. Arifa Casaboy. Thank Arifa you for Casaboy. having me. I'm and excited I, to be here. I apologize as I wrote it phonetically, but I got in my own head when it came to say it. I so love it. I apologize. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you out there who might be unfamiliar with the doctor, she is the medical director at Clarkston Community Health Center, which is a nonprofit clinic. Um, for individuals without adequate health insurance. Now, I don't even know that I could on a map picture where Clarkston, Georgia is. Oh, sure. It's only about 20 minutes away from here. It's not so bad it is at, right outside the perimeter, the Lawrenceville Highway exit. So it's tucked in by Tucker, Georgia. Okay. I'm familiar with Tucker. Very nice. And share with our listeners and myself just a little bit about what that role entails. Sure. Well, I am new to the role, but I have been involved with the Clarkston Community Health Center. It's a 501c3 uh, nonprofit clinic. Um, I used to be on the board, and I have been a volunteer physician there for five years. So Clarkston, since you don't know a lot about it, it's considered the most diverse square mile in the United States. So in that community, you'll find easily over 30 languages being spoken regularly. And so a lot of the community members, the locals that were born and raised there, as well as the new immigrants, do not have adequate health insurance. Some have a little bit of insurance, but as many of you know, insurance for health care doesn't necessarily cover everything. Right. So to take care um, and provide services for that community, this clinic was opened eight years ago, and now I am the first medical director. We have a chief medical officer that is the founder. And I'll be helping to really look at the services and broaden the scope, increase uh, the depth and breadth of how we um, serve our community and uh, open up as many days as possible. That's very exciting. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear about the diversity there because as we sit here in Gwinnett, specifically Duluth, we are in what sounds to be as an equally diverse um, yes. area with a multicultural community to serve. I don't know if I understood correctly, but just to help clear it up, do you take insured individuals or you cater to only those who don't fall into that category? So currently we only take people without adequate insurance. So nice. hopefully that will change in the future. Yes and no. I guess from the medical standpoint, um, possibly the um, the dollar side. I don't know if that, that makes sense. But I think it's awesome that you have a space that is specifically geared towards those who are underserved because then it might become inundated with all the insured folks, you know. Yes, uh, that is a thought that many people have. But the reality is quality health care service for all uh, really helps everyone involved. And, and we want all people to come in to feel like they're getting the best care. I agree. For all. So how long have you been a doctor? 
I graduated a long time ago, <laughs> but I've been um, in practice since uh, 2000. I think I got my license in 99. And uh, yes, yeah, so I started out at Emory. Mm -hmm. I worked at Emory Clinic, which many people might be familiar with. And then from there, I worked at the VA medical system. Mm. Along the path, I've done telemedicine as well. And I've been volunteering at the Clarkston for many years. So I have a Varied experiences in the field. And what is your specialty? I'm an internist. So that's adult medicine. I basically do everything except children's health care, so pediatrics. Mm -hmm. And I don't do surgery. I don't do, don't do obstetrics care. But I ha will take care of medical issues related to women and people that are pregnant. Oh, very nice. Out of curiosity, what is it like now being in the director seat versus in a practical seat? Because you yourself were a practicing doctor for such a long time. And now you're kind of, um, you know, taking an observation and you're, I don't want to say managing, but you're directing teams and you're kind of having you have an overview of the center. So what is it like being in a non-practical role? So really, for the last 10 years, my clinical care has been less, and I've been more in a health communications role and a leadership role. So for many years, I was at WebMD and Medscape, which mm. are digital health websites that serve uh, the consumers, so people... Just everyday people can look up their health care yes. um, questions and also training for professionals. So physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, pharmacists, uh, PAs. Hmm. And so in that role, I was doing health education for the masses, basically. Mm -hmm. And in uh, part of that role, I had the privilege of working for non-for-profits like Clarkston Community Health Center. So for me, this role is bringing it all together. Mm -hmm. So while I will get to see patients myself, I will also be supporting clinicians in the practice, uh, and I will be working to really meet other gaps in health education and support for healthcare services that our community may need. It's really, it's, it's bringing it all together. I'm so excited to be in this position. Have that full circle moment. Exactly. Yes. What would you say if you were to list three and then we'll kind of steer out of this because I could pick your brain forever. First of all, you saw me chuckling and it's because when you said WebMD, I can't tell you how many times I've like Googled like, what is this rash on my wrist? After exactly. Everyone's like, don't WebMD it. It's going to put things in your head. Well, I will add that I really value these digital health consumer sites and I want to provide that on the ground, like in a grassroots way at Clarkston, because I want people to be empowered. So while you may want to take everything you see online with a grain of salt and really do a strong litmus test for what is actually worthy health information and what falls in that disinformation site, I love that people are empowered to go find that information, follow up on a doctor's visit, and kind of understand and rethink and rehash what the conversation they had with their doctor is, was. But not for diagnostic purposes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remembered, and thank you so much. Uh, I was going to ask, what are the top three reasons that people come into the community health center? Um, would you say it's for preventative? Would you say people are already ill? Would you say, just if you were to put it into a... a three top three reasons sure so the community in Clarkston is a reflection of the community of the United States 
almost half the population has diabetes. Um, and high blood pressure, cholesterol, these are all just everyday chronic medical issues. So a vast majority are coming for that chronic care, which is critical to prevent sort of catastrophic events in the future. Right. And to maintain their activity level and their their zest for life so they can contribute. So that's that's really, you know, people need to get their med refills. They need to make sure their thyroid disease is under control. A lot of them have come through just all sorts of changes in their life. Um, the everyday changes like a new job and having a child and getting married, but also moving across the world uh, in a country that doesn't speak their native language. language yeah. So so for all those reasons, um, it, uh, people will come to the clinic for that chronic disease management. And then again, the next issue is just the aches and pains of life mm -hmm. um, that come. So they want to make sure that that headache is, is really a tension headache that comes from these stresses versus something that indicates a bigger problem. So I take it you have a multilingual staff. We do have a multilingual staff. We also have access to resources where we have like a language line um, to assist with translators. And, and all of that, um, really getting all those programs strong and robust, that's, that'll be part of my role. That's exciting. Well, congratulations to you. And I know that you'll have great success in Thank metamorphosizing you. it. And again, cheers to the aha full circle moment. We all love those. Uh, if we may, I'd like to kind of rewind time. And I'd sure. like to start with um, maybe when you were in college, share with us a little bit about how you discovered your passion and understood what direction that you wanted to pursue in the medical field and just a little bit about those days. Sure. So I uh, have um, family members that are in the medical field. So for very basic, not exciting reasons, I wanted, I liked science mm -hmm. and I wanted to help people. And so medicine seemed like a great choice and I didn't want to be an engineer. And, you know, that was kind of the depth of my understanding of future career choices in the science world. So, you know, I, I came quite innocently into college with that goal, but I took a class called the Sociology of Health and Illness in college. And I was blown away when I started understanding how critical health and well-being is to just life success. And so from there, again, being that student in college that wasn't yet intimidated by much, I went and knocked on a, my professor's door and said, hey, I really like this. I want to do more. And I encourage everybody in the audience to have that boldness. Um, don't let the future, you know, as you become an, a, a more and more of an adult, don't, don't lose that. And so through that professor, I connected with two other professors that uh, have been lifelong mentors mm -hmm. and uh, guided me with my uh, thesis in college. And through that, I got research experience. I um, interviewed young women who were pregnant at Grady Memorial Hospital and what was once called Georgia Baptist Hospital. Mm -hmm. Then it was Atlanta Medical and recently it closed and looked at why they chose each hospital for their medical care. And it was related to reimbursements that had changed that in the past, people with that insurance would only be accepted at Grady. Mm. 
but when the government um, started paying for um, paying higher amounts, they were allowed to you know, a, a hospital started recruiting these patients because now they were going to get paid. Right. And so I looked, I did research in that area, and that really, um, that along with my anthropology undergraduate degree really set the basis for all my work where I'm interested in not not necessarily deciding myself what someone needs to know and giving it to them, but really asking those questions of what do you want to know? What would help you? What are you confused about? And then taking a step back and saying, hey, what's the best way to answer that question? Mm -hmm. Is it a podcast? Right. Is it an article? Um, is it one-on-one -on -one, um, education? Mm -hmm. And then kind of moving through that process. Well, cheers to you for conducting that uh, market research um, <laughs> on your own. That is very intriguing. I find social experiments um, very neat myself. So from there, you kind of just briefly touched on the anthrop anthropology undergrad. Go into detail. Oh, sure. So my school, Emory, um, had a, a great medical anthropology program. So I was on that side and really learned about health and understanding how people view health and wellness and illness uh, across cultures around the world throughout time. And then layer that with looking at American cultures or cultures in the United States through that lens mm -hmm. and getting ethnographic data to support other types of data analysis. I'm sorry, I'm writing that down. Ethnographic data is something. Yeah, that I've so that's never heard basically of. really getting information from the words of the people. Like, how do they describe the flu? What are the words they use? What are the feelings and symptoms they um, experience? Right. As opposed to me talking about fevers, coughs, mm -hmm. and chills, because maybe they don't use the word chills. Right. So don't have, yeah, they might use a different word for that. Um, okay. So view of well-being. I'm curious. That's something that you've studied. That's something that you're passionate about. I'm curious, doctor, what is your view or definition of well-being? Well, when I'm thinking of what can I do to improve someone else's well-being, it falls into a few buckets and those included the actual medical conditions, but then the other pieces that a person will utilize to be healthy. So their nutrition, their exercise and activity, their stress and contributors to stress, their social engagement, how they sleep. All of these are areas that contribute to well-being. <laughs> so yours is like a scientific definition almost. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. yourself, when you think about your own well-being, do you think of those things that you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I will look at my gut feeling, you know, how is it that I feel? And when I'm off, I will kind of run through those. And, and it allows me to sort of take a step back and look objectively. Have I been sleeping? Well, did I go walk my puppy today? Um, did I take some time out for myself and do something that really doesn't contribute to anything like reading a great novel? Mm -hmm. uh, did I eat a healthy meal or was I rushing around grabbing fast food? Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it allows you to break it up. So that's kind of where I am with it. Uh, yeah. 
I love it. You mentioned before the show that you are a family woman. You are a mother and also a wife. And you just mentioned your little doggy too. So when you think about wellness for your family, do you have that same definition or that same cascade that you just mentioned for yourself? Or is the wellness, the well-being, shall I say, of your children and your animal and your husband, is that definition different than the one that you just mentioned for yourself? No, no. It extends to our, my immediate family unit. And I have um, my husband and I have all our first degree relatives in the Atlanta metro area. So, nice. so it extends to them, it extends to our school friends and our neighbor neighborhood friends and our coworkers. Uh, when I think about how we are all doing, I look to those areas. And then if someone's in distress and I want to do something, I think about that again. And that's part of, you know, the tradition of dropping off a casserole, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're contributing to, okay, you're too busy to think about food. Let me drop off a healthy meal for you. You're under stress. Hey, how about I meet you for a walk? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, I, I, I really look through those lenses um, with how, we, um, how I kind of interact with my community and then even within our family to make sure that all of us have downtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is such a super scheduled world we live in. Uh, especially for teens and children, right? So I really want to make sure, I mean, I, I have put in the calendar blocks of time that are nothing time. Yeah. Like no agenda time. Just to show like you occupied. don't have to achieve anything. Like we're going to protect that time. So yes, I'm, I'm pretty consistent. <laughs> it's important to protect that time. I'm glad that you said that, especially for your health. Doctor, if I may, before we take a break, while we're still on the um, on the side of science and medicine, I do want to ask you about something that you're very enthusiastic about. Now, you and I are recently connected on LinkedIn, and you have um, through your through your feed and through our our conversation before the show, you were sharing with me your passion for raising awareness to something specific. And for those of you listening who might not be familiar with what we're going to talk about, I encourage you to do a little bit of research um, because it's a very, a very alive topic. And I'm going to let the doctor take it from here before I befuddle anymore. But I will give the acronym and it'll allow you to expand upon that and share your, your, um, your desire to raise awareness for this cause, and that is FGM, and I'll let you take it from there. Sure, sure. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak about this. I think it is important. So the FGMC stands for female genital mutilation or female genital cutting. We often use the word female genital cutting just to take out that derogatory piece to it, even though it is quite a traumatic terrible experience for many people, but it involves cutting of the female genital area as part of tradition. And the reasoning behind it, the official reasonings behind it are often, you know, I don't even want to go into all those reasons, but really it's often a power play against women. In and specific cultures, right? Well, so it it is in specific cultures and communities, but those cultures and communities are across the globe, all religions, all races and ethnicities, including the United States, where fundamental religious groups have cut women here um, for masturbating as a child. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, it's also prevalent um, in, in, in multiple communities in Africa and through Asia and, and other places. So this organization specifically really works to raise awareness about this, uh, this experience, give a place for people, women to come and uh, learn what medical issues they may, uh, get information about what medical issues they may need to address mm -hmm. and the trauma and the psychiatric issues that come with this. We're also uh, really want to encourage conversation because for many people who have done this to their children, this often happens to young women, um, girls in their, at infancy, age seven, early teens, that they may have done this out of ignorance, not recognizing that this was something that is unnecessarily painful and is something that's been done without the consent of the child. Right. They're coming from a framework of this is what happens in our family, in our community, and it's necessary to be clean or necessary for marriage or necessary for whatever reason. Or they are uh, people who are forced by others in their family or community to allow their child to have this done. So we want to come to them not in a punitive way that makes them feel guilty and shameful, even though that's often part of it, um, but rather how do we, in this moment, support this so that the women, females who have experienced this can feel better mentally and physically, and that the next generation, this does not happen? I have got to ask, and excuse my ignorance, I know you can see my the wide-ranged facial expressions here. Is there no, I don't want to say the word punishment, but is there no the people who are who are doing this to others, to these young ladies, to sure, the women, is, yeah. they cannot get in trouble in any kind of way? Can we not prosecute them? Yes, yes. So, so the reason I got involved in this is because of a physician that was performing this procedure in the name of religion in the United States. And, um, and, I, and I have to be careful to speak properly because mm -hmm. uh, legally, I think... Right. I, I don't, um, I'm not yeah. <laughs> an attorney, so, but um, I became aware of a case related to that. And then I was shocked to my core that an American trained physician would really believe in this mm -hmm. and that this was part of a religious you know, act. So, so that's how I entered the situation. And yes, there are um, legal ramifications. Uh, it's really complicated in the United States and also in other countries related to federal versus state. But there have been there has been some progress made um, in various states. I'm not well versed enough right. to give you those details, yeah. but certainly the organization that I was recently the chair of their board is Sayo. It's S A H I Y O. And they have a great newsletter and their website has a lot of information. So if anyone in our audience wants to understand the legal piece of it, the information is there. If anyone in our audience has experienced uh, Kutna or FGMC, um, those are multiple names for the same thing, uh, they can go to a secure 
go to that website. It has a secure um, quick exit mm -hmm. if it's something they can't let others in their um, household know, they're looking. know yeah. they're looking and get more information, get support. And, uh, and if they want to help, um, certainly we are always welcoming experts, volunteers, however they mm. can, you know, contribute to stopping this community. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to, um, speak about it in such an eloquent way. If you can even use that word in relation to what we were discussing, do share with our listeners one more time, if they want to get involved, if they feel moved by the message that you just heard, how can someone that may have just heard this raise awareness, help to raise awareness. And ultimately the goal is to probably help stop the practice of this in the Absolutely. end, right? So what are ways people can become involved, if at all? Oh, yes. I mean, there's many ways. If it's a simple monetary donation, you know, that can be um, used and applied for the multiple programs that SEO is doing. And there are other organizations in the U.S. that are related um, that are also working to end FGMC. And FGMC falls into the uh, general category of gender violence. So uh, if anyone's interested and in already working in that space and wants to connect, they can. So again, the website is sayo.org. And from there, they can find um, uh, all the different ways. How they can participate. Does yeah. that word mean something in another language? I've never heard it in my whole yes, life. Yes, it so. does. It means friend. Friend. Oh, in what yeah. language? It's a Hindi or Urdu. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's very nice. I like it. Well, again, doctor, thank you for having that, that conversation with me. I think it's very important for people like you and I in positions like this to be able to share things that others might not speak about ordinarily. So I really appreciate you peeling back the layers. Thank you. And when we come back from our break, we're going to change the subject and we're going to dive into a little bit of maybe some personal things with you, doctor. Sounds good. All right. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. All right, and welcome back. Thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, before the break, we were talking about something that is very profound and we're trying to raise awareness for, and the great doctor was kind enough to share her expertise and share with us a resource for you to learn more. Um, now I would like to ask you, you were talking about when you went to school and you were talking about you and your husband, the majority of your family is here locally in Georgia. So I'd kind of like to hear that story, how you guys met, maybe in college, did you go to school together, how you kind of formed your family? 
family, um, your foundation here in Georgia? Sure. It's a, it's quite the funny story. So I was actually on vacation with my parents and my brother in Pakistan when I was 15 and we were, had a stopover in Dubai and my husband got on the plane to come to the United States for college. And he ended up sitting beside my father and told my father he wanted to be a doctor when he grew up. And uh, my hus- my father is a physician. And so my father chatted with him. He's a super friendly pediatrician, just classic pediatrician. So when we had our stopovers the rest of the way back to the United States and Paris and then New York, uh, my father made sure that Martha stayed with us to make because he was alone traveling. Wait a minute, he stayed with you guys like overnight? No, or just during the like travels. Okay, we had layovers in Paris, and then when we got to to New York, the um, the airport was huge, and uh, my husband had my future husband had to transfer from international to domestic, and you know he's just a teenage kid with these big suitcases. You could travel with bigger suitcases back then, then. <laughs> um, and so my dad made us sit down, and he went and made sure Marissa got settled in on his flight, and then that was that. So eight years went by, and uh, we had moved from Warner Robins, Georgia, um, to Atlanta, and I was in medical school, and my future husband was visiting his um, sister here in Atlanta and had started residency at Emory, and was at a baseball game, you know, classic, with my nephew Mm -hmm. at Murphy Candler Park, (laughs) which many of you may know, and uh, they went to Dairy Queen to get an ice cream, and the Dairy Queen was um, owned by... uh, South Asian family that had moved from Warner Robins, Mm -hmm. and um, they immediately connected my mother-in-law with my parents um, because we have a similar background, and my um, husband was like, you know, I think that's the family that helped me when I came to the U.S. the first time, (laughs) and so he called them up. Uh, My father, classic dad was like, yeah, I'm not really sure, but um, we're having a barbecue. Why don't you come over? (laughs) And you're new to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so he came and we met and we started dating. And, you know, from there, it's history. So. so did your dad pretend like he didn't know who he was when they reconnected? He, I like mean, he, didn't he remember sort of from remembered, but he, you know, he wasn't quite sure. Mm-hmm. He remembered there was a kid. I was going to ask you, do you <laughs> think that your dad and your husband remained in contact over that eight year period? No, no, okay. no, not then at all. It was meant to be. It was meant to oh, be. That's yeah, so no, exciting. No, no, it was totally random. <laughs> and and what a great story because your your dad actually sat next to your future husband, unbeknownst to him or you, eight years prior. We warned him every time he travels. Be, be nice. <laughs> Do you have any sisters? I don't. Okay, I, I was going to say, keep your dad off airplanes if there's any single ladies in your family. <laughs> yeah. And now you guys have been married for how long? We have been married uh, this year. It'll be 25 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And you share children as well? Yes. Um, So I have a daughter that's at Georgia Tech. She's a freshman and a son that's in high school here in Atlanta. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Go Jackets. We We have a dog's graduate here in the room, though. Don't throw any shade. (laughs) (laughs) And what are your what is your daughter in college for? Well, she's a freshman, so Mm -hmm. we'll see what what really happens but you know we I've always encouraged social justice mm-hmm. and so whatever she does I want her to make sure she's really thinking about helping the people in her world 
And uh, I think she's taken that to heart. Very nice. Social justice. You mentioned that you guys were traveling all over the place. And was that for leisure? I'm rewinding back to uh, when you first met your husband. You said that you were coming from Pakistan. Yes. Headed, did you say Paris? Well, there were stopovers along the way returning to the U.S. But my parents, uh, they immigrated to the United States in 1972. It was under, they were able to immigrate because of um, the, I think it's 1967 Nationalization Act. I'm probably not saying that correctly. But essentially, it was an immigration act that allowed uh, professionals that spoke English to come to the United States to fill gaps. And so my father being a physician and there was a shortage of physicians, he came here. So when we, um, when he came here and then I was born here, there weren't a lot of, um, actually there were zero family members on the continent until I was 18. So when every few years, my parents would go back to different Mm -hmm. countries, um, to visit relatives and and, um, and travel while we were doing that. Nice. And then slowly, I guess, because you guys planted your feet here, maybe, then everybody started following? Because you said you had no family members here yeah, on U.S. soil. Yeah, yeah. So then later on, for various reasons, um, for better prospects in the United States, because of um, political unrest in their own countries, I've had relatives immigrate to Canada and the United States. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, I will ask, just out of curiosity, you said that your dad and that family member or that um, your family friend that owned the Dairy Queen, you know, kind of connected you guys. Did your relationship unfold organically or were you positioned to maybe, I'm unaware of what what marriage might look like in any other world than my own. Oh, yes. So were you able to consciously decide? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We ran into each other. That next part of the story is we ran into each other a week later at the gym, Uh and he asked me out. (laughs) So so sweet. He only waited eight years. Or you you only waited eight years. That's very nice. So you mentioned social justice. Um, Based on just what I've learned about you through the show and what I gauge that you're passionate about, Uh, I know that it's very important for you to impede that upon your children. So if you were to explain social justice in layman's terms to someone out there listening so that they might be able to explore that, what would that be? That's a great question. Yes. So social justice for me is it's a really simple concept. It's whatever your talents are, whatever it is you choose to do, think about who it impacts and how another person's well-being, life, whatever it is, improves. So you can go into finance and do social justice if you're helping someone else prosper. Mm-hmm. It's a really open-ended term that talk that's that encompasses that other the other person as you are building your own success and um, traveling through this world's careers and and all of that just to always think about those around you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. Speaking of careers, and as myself, I was an undecided college freshman too. Um, What advice would you give any person that is out there, maybe a new graduate from high school, um, an undecided entering college, to help them decipher what direction to go in life? Sure. Sure. I'll just tell you little bits and pieces I've told my daughter (laughs) and son. (laughs) Well, um, Well, you know, actually, I'll start with what uh, someone at Georgia Tech told the parents at orientation. 
when you're out there meeting people and doing new things and showing up at events, don't, um, don't necessarily think about making friends because that can, that can have a heavy load. Think about making connections. And it's easier to smile and talk to someone when you're just looking to make a connection. It's not about what you're getting from them or what you're going to give back or whether they're going to be a soulmate. Just it's a connection that is interesting and you can explore and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. And to keep it simple. So I, I want... I want our audience, especially those young in their careers, to really always be open. And then in that openness, to be vulnerable, to say, hey, I don't know things, and to ask questions. Any person starting a new position should have a notebook where they are constantly writing down every single question they have. And then they can go back and see what answers they can figure out themselves, what answers they can look up, and what answers they need to meet with their mentor or whoever they report to or their coworkers to find out those answers and to just keep doing that. (laughs) So those are two key pieces to success, I think. I love that. And I think you seem like a a social person to me just based on this interaction. And one thing I've noticed working with the young professionals closely is networking isn't something that, that you're really taught. Okay. So if you're an introvert, something like a chamber after hours or a young professionals event or a conference might be kind of daunting, or if you're a wallflower, but I think it's really an underserved arena in the young folk because you have to get out there, shake hands, shake legs, kiss babies. And not everybody knows how to do that. You have to come out of your comfortable zone and put yourself, like you said, be open to the experience and just be willing to make that connection and just kind of go out there and spread your wings. Yes, yes. But I also, to add to that, everybody isn't like that. And so I, I really want people to know that I'm not forcing people to do all of that, but really to give yourself grace as you learn how to do that and to really think about what makes you happy. So I, I can do the, the networking coffee hour. What I prefer is more one-on-one walks. Mm -hmm. And at some point in my career, I just decided I'm done with these coffees because it's awkward sitting there looking at someone and drinking coffee and getting heartburn. And, you know, I'm just done with that. Like if you, if you want to talk, let's, let's just meet for a walk. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, we'll, we'll figure out, is it a walk inside, outside where, you know, with my puppy, without my puppy. Um, and, and, and I do better speaking to someone when we're walking side by side. And I think everybody has their thing. Um, you know, what kind of activities where they know they're going to be in a relaxed setting and, uh, and get to know someone without, you know, any added pressure. I just wrote down talk and a walk. I might be inviting some people out to talk and walk sometime. (laughs) Doctor, you were talking about mentorship earlier and about some professors within your life that you considered mentors. Um, Talk a little bit about the importance of identifying someone to be a mentor per se, or just having someone that you can mirror or just look up to in order to continue um, growing towards your ultimate goal. Sure. I think finding mentors is challenging and, and, and even that term can be daunting, uh, but really identifying those key people, whether they're actual mentors or sponsors, that's another term that, that people throw around. I've had wonderful sponsors in my career, and those are people that had a direct, by sponsor, I mean someone who has a direct power to 
influence your career. So this is the person you report to or a person that's a layer up up a layer higher than you in a corporation, um, maybe you know one department off, and they can uh, really educate you on the politics mm. of your corporate world or or company world. They can let you know about opportunities for raises and um, new projects that you could be a lead on, or when it's time to try for you know apply for another position within your company. Um, so. Identifying those people and then meeting them for that cup of coffee or for a walk or hanging out with them at one of the networking events is is key. And to really, you know, again, keep it relaxed. Um, get to know them before you have to ask them for something um, and, and take it from there. And some people, you know, you just want to keep in touch with them long term. Mm -hmm. And that can be a simple card or email once or twice yeah. a year. I mean, that's for years, that's how I kept up with the two professors that were my mentors in college. And then at different points, I would meet them and, you know, introduce them to my kids or, you know, go for a walk with them, whatever. Um, but I have actually stayed in touch with those two professors for many decades. And if you can't, if you're in a position where you're having time, a difficult time with um, people that are a few years ahead of you or a few steps ahead of you, remember your coworkers mm -hmm. and your peers that maybe have are in the same level as you, but are in a completely different profession. Uh, remember to, to reach out to them and keep in touch. Mm -hmm. You, when you were saying reach out, that was reminding me of things that several ladies that I've interviewed have mentioned before, and that's the importance of reaching back and helping someone else. Oh, yes. And whether it be the next generation, just, you know, somebody, but always, you know, it's our responsibility as leaders to reach back, to look back and help along the next, whatever that may be. I want to play a little bit of a, a game with you, if I may. Sure. And I'm going to make a couple of statements and I want you to complete the sentence based on what your definition or thought of what I mentioned. Sure. So the first one is being a champion is blank. Being a champion is. It can be the Olympics. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> comes to your mind when you think of champion. Being a leader for your community. I love that. Championing. I've heard that used recently being a champion of business, being a champion of women, champion. I'm like, man, this is so many words, no many uses for champion. Yeah. Um, leadership means blank to me. Leadership means supporting those around me to further our mission. And if you were to identify three qualities within which you identify as a good leader, what would those three be? That's a great question. I think being forward thinking, so thinking strategically is critical. And then that piece about supporting the teams to really assist with what do they need to get their piece of the job done and how do we connect it all. The other piece is knowing all the audiences. Um, so at Clarkston, Community Health Center, I'm thinking about the patients, obviously, the staff, the volunteers, um, the students that are coming through. You mentioned mm -hmm. that hand back, mm -hmm. reaching back. Uh, we're really looking to provide experiences so 
people who want to go into the health profession or the non-for-profit space can come get build a tangible skill set. And as they're learning and growing and, and take, getting those internship-type experiences, they're giving back because our team and our patients benefit from their hard work. How would someone get involved in an intern program at your center? Is that something that somebody could Google or get on a list or they'd need to coordinate? It's definitely your... something that's in flux since I joined because I just joined. <laughs> so More to come. <laughs> more to come. But certainly the website is there and contacting us and then we can take it from there. Because you work for a not-for-profit organization, I want to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners how people can contribute or learn how to participate in all the things that you're doing. How could someone... Learn more. Sure. So it's Clarkston Community Health Center.org. They go to the website. The donation link is there. And there is a link to um, reach out to us. And, and people are welcome to reach out to me in LinkedIn. So my information will be on the page, but it's RFA Casaboy. And, uh, and, and I can assist with that process. I'm going to spell that for our listeners. And it's A R E F A C A S S O O B H O Y. Yes. Correct. All right. Um, I know we just got walloped by the man for tax season here recently, but if I'm not correct, isn't there a way that at the end of the year, people can defer their taxes and make a contribution to a center much like yours? I don't know. (laughs) I thought I heard something about that. Well, we will dive into that before next tax season (laughs) to see. Um, I thought that was really interesting because if you're already going to pay that amount in taxes, like why wouldn't you choose to just allocate that to something that you are, you know, a supporter of? It seems perfectly logical. And if you can do Do that, that, please please, do that for Clarkston. Please make sure you do that for Clarkston. Um, I told you that our time would fly by and I know that I've kind of water bugged around a lot of topics, but you really have a lot a lot to offer our listeners. And I want to ask before we say adios, if there's anything that you would leave our listeners with for a final word. For a final word. Well, I'll tell you, I'm an optimist. So for our audience, wherever they are in their moment in life, I think it's always, there's always an opportunity to, as the classic term has become, pay it forward. So I really want to encourage people to think about that extra smile to the guy that makes their coffee and that extra donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the few hours of sharing their skill set with others. And the others, it doesn't have to be a formal non-for-profit. It could be the neighbor's kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, to, and I would say that most people are already doing all of this. It's a matter of looking into your life and recognizing it and then celebrating it and appreciating how much you already do. So um, no pressure to add more to your plate. Mm -hmm. Really just recognize what you do. Look through another lens. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining us today. For those of you listening out there who have found value in this series, we'd love for you to hit the subscribe button. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can look up Celebrating Powerhouse Women. You can always find the archived episodes at businessradiox.com and select the Gwinnett Studio. We are live every Friday at 1130 a.m., folks. And for our producer today, Dan, and for our guest, Dr. Arfa, I have been your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and this is Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X.